1: So did anyone else feel like John was reading like, you know, a terrorist was holding him captive and he was reading the prepared message. Everything is fine and I renounce my country. Did anyone else feel that? Or was it, you felt it too, Isaac. Okay, I see that, that's, that's good. Is everything okay, like give us a sign. Like just sort of do something, anything, and let us know. And we'll, we'll send Barry to rescue you, so. Well, if you got your Bibles here, or if you're at home and you got your Bibles, uh, you can open up to the book of Ephesians for the final time. We've, uh, we've finally come to a close for our incredible study. Uh, when, you know, when we started this book, uh, there was no such thing as COVID in the popular vernacular, right? We, no one had heard about that except for a few scientists. Uh, we were actually still meeting at Chicopee Hill Public School. And, uh, and back then, we only had an audio podcast that would be posted a couple days later. So we, we've come a long way. Uh, I would say in the, in the last two plus years that we've been studying this book. And, and as I was reflecting on that, thinking how we started at Chicopee and then we got the school strikes so we were bouncing around and so we're all over the place between in the classroom here at Heritage as well as the community center and then we were online with COVID and then in the theater and then back online and back in the theater and here we are now at Heritage. It's, uh, it's been quite the journey I would say. And, uh, and if you're, if you're kind of new here to, to new life and, and you're just sort of catching the tail end of the study, uh, all of the messages are actually still available on uh, both our YouTube channel and our, our website. And you can listen to them on the podcast or you can actually watch the audio, mes- or watch the messages as well. And even in those initial messages that were just audio, Andrew Ricolta she was kind enough to volunteer and she, she t- uh, lined up all the slides to the, to the audio messages. So you can still sort of watch it, even though we didn't have any kind of uh, video at the time. So, uh, but it's interesting to kind of go back again and see some of the, the technical growth of new life. When we first went online, and it was just me talking to a computer, to eventually uh, all the uh, variations as we go. And so I will allow you to be uh, discover those things as you go, and you can have a good laugh. So, but for those who are here at the beginning, anyone here from the beginning? Oh, good. There's my family. Excellent. So... <laughs> We, uh, we commented at the beginning, though, that this letter was, was likely a circular letter, meaning that it wasn't just only for the church in Ephesus, that it would have been passed around to all the churches. And they, they came to that conclusion because they found many manuscripts that in the, in the first opening verse, they, the, the word Ephesians was sort of left out. And that way, the church can kind of write their own name in there, and the letters were kind of passed around. And, and I think that's interesting because it's not meant for a specific church. It's meant for the church. And, and so in many ways, what we can do is we could read Ephesians 1 verse 1 this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at new life fellowship and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And that's important because this letter, although it's, it's nearly 2,000 years old, it's not just for the church in Ephesus, it's for all of us as well. And so it's as relevant today as it's ever been because God's word doesn't go in and out of season. It's like honey, it never expires. It's always good, his wisdom, amen? So before we kind of look at these last couple verses then in our, in our study, I thought we'd do a quick overview, a quick summary, uh, sort of look back on what Paul's been sharing here. And so in those first couple of verses of chapter one, we saw a greeting, but then he jumps right in, in chapter three to verse 14, there's what's called the, the treasure chest. And here he talks about every spiritual blessing that is now ours. Think about it, every spiritual blessing that is in Christ Jesus now belongs to you and I. We don't have to pray for more blessings, we already have it. And then he goes and he lists what those blessings are, that we've been redeemed and that we're chosen, that we're accepted and we're approved and we're forgiven and we're, we're uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit who's come to live inside of us. Just incredible things in that treasure chest. And so then in, in verses 15 to 23 of chapter one, we discover Paul's first prayer. And the first prayer is that our eyes would be open to what is now ours. Our eyes would be open to that discovery of what we have in that treasure chest. And then we saw in the beginning of chapter 2, 1 to 10, Paul talks about the problem of mankind and then God's redemptive work. And that's where we see that famous verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you've been saved, not by works, so that no one may boast. It's the gift of God. And then he goes into chapter, uh, verse 11, all the way into into 3, verse 13, and now he starts talking about the unity of the church. And it was, it was kind of special for us to study that because we saw a lot of the chaos, a lot of the division going on in our world, and we see how the answer isn't in the politics. The answer isn't in this world. The answer is Jesus Christ and how he has brought Jew and Gentile together with Christ being the head of the church because he's removed the barrier and the barrier was the law. And so he's removed that so we can come together as one. And so then we see in verses 14 to 21, Paul's second prayer. And that beautiful prayer that we would know, that we would know, that we would know how loved we are. A, a truth that you'll never fully understand or grasp. So then in chapter four now, he, he begins to transition to now more practical teaching about how we walk with Jesus. And in, in the first six verses in particular, how we walk in unity together. There's one Christ, one Lord, one baptism, one God, the Father, and, and so forth. And then, then we spend some time in verses 7 to 16 looking at the different offices of the church, the gifts of the church, the, the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the pastor teacher and how, how they, they serve the church and what, what the, the purpose of each of those roles. And then we had a, a larger section of verse, chapter 4, verse 17 to 521, where it talks about walking with Jesus as new creations. As new people, that we're not the same old person. We put off the old self and now we put on the new self who's been created in the likeness of God, in the likeness of his truth, the likeness of his holiness, and the likeness of his his righteousness. And then in in beginning in 522 to 6, verse 9, he talks about different relationships, the husband and wife and and parents and employees and employers in the workplace and so forth. And then chapter 6, verse 10 to 20, he talks about the the battle we're in. And, And the invitation there is to stand firm, which I think is beautiful. It's not that we have to now take the ground. It's not that we have to win the battle. The battle's already been won. We just have to stand firm holding now with the armor of God on in order to to overcome our enemy. And that brings us now to to chapter 6, verse 21 to 24, which is the final closing, Paul's final um, saying goodbye now in this letter. And so let's read our final two verses together now. Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus with incorruptible love. Let's pray. Father, we, we've been blessed. We've been overwhelmed by what you've shared to us in this book and, and the truth and the power and the freedom that we have in you. And, and I pray, Lord, that, that this morning would be another one of those mornings where you would, you would open up our eyes to something special. And, and regardless of how much we've heard these truths, no matter how much we've, we've uh, encountered your grace and your love, may it, may it impact us again. Because that's where life is found. That's where our hope is found. In your name we pray, amen. Well, Paul's wrapping up the book in much the same way that he started the book, in that he, you know, in in chapter 1, verse 2, he began with this grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's kind of closing with a similar kind of phrasing, except he's added something in the middle there at the end of, of verse 23 about this idea of love and faith. And, and so I, I looked at those major four words, this, this peace and love and faith and grace, and I was just meditating on those four words this week, and I, I got thinking about how there's really kind of three kinds of people in this world. There are those who are hurting. There are those who are hurting but not now. And then there are those who are hurting but are in denial, who are just trying to ignore it and pretend it's not happening. But you'll notice that no one of us, none of us, escape hurt. We live in a fallen world. We live in a hurting world where hurt people hurt people. And, and you, can't, you can't escape it. You can't avoid it. And so the question is really, are you hurting right now? Or are you just not right now, but it will be later on or in your past? In either case, you've been hurt. And and I thought about that, and then I thought about these four words, and I thought, maybe, maybe that's the answer that God wants to give to us as a hurting world. Because think about when, when Jesus began his public ministry, remember when he, in Luke chapter four, he walks into the temple and, and they give an opportunity for anyone to say anything, anyone to speak. And, and, and he, he stands up and he, he pulls out one of the scrolls and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61 and verse one. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. I know you've heard that verse so many times. You've heard it quoted. You know, maybe it's been you know said at, at you know Easter, sorry, Christmas pageants and so forth. But but just pause for a moment and let those words sink in. To heal and bind up the hurting. He's come to to set us free from the oppression of fear and sin and of death so that we could be free to live. That's that's his mission statement. And and I kind of think those four words of peace, love, faith, and grace are sort of what he's offered to us in order for all of that to be true. So we're going to examine these four different words. So we're going to start with peace. Peace. Now, in the, in the Greek, the, the word here, peace, is, is literally Irene, and it's almost exclusively, almost exclusively translated as peace in the New Testament. But whenever I come across this word peace, Paul's writing, I, I'm often reminded that, well, Paul was a Jewish man, and he might have been thinking in Hebrew while he was writing in Greek. And so then I think about the, the Hebrew word for, for peace. And the word is shalom. Everyone familiar with the word shalom? It's a very, very common word. It's probably the one Hebrew word I can pronounce properly. But it also means peace. And it's often translated as peace, but it's, it's much more than just peace. It means that to do well. To even, I would say, to be prosperous. Now, a lot of times when we hear that word prosperity, we, we think about material prosperity, and I don't want us to get stuck on that, but I want to see that prosperity is much more than just in the physical. In fact, I would argue that, that it's beyond the physical, and, and, and it's more important beyond the physical. And so, yes, it includes the physical, but it also includes our soul. And again, of the two, I think the soul is more important. And so when I thought about what does prosperity in the soul look like, or what does that mean? I thought of rest in the soul. Where you, your emotions are not overrunning you. Or your your mind's not racing and racing and racing. I meet with people sometimes and, and their minds just can't slow down. Never mind, forget about shutting off. They just they just can't slow down and they're they're just one thought, next thought, next thought, next thought, and, and they're just like a, like a car going too fast coming up to an icy corner and there are all kinds of trouble coming up. And so, so prosperity or peace or rest in the soul is a, a mind that's not running too hard, a, a mind that can actually evaluate and make clear-headed decisions. It's, it's an ability to be at rest with yourself. Can anyone, can anyone relate to that? Or anyone want to aspire to that one day? To just be comfortable in your own skin, just sitting with yourself. And manifests itself, I think, as the, as the freedom to breathe. Again, physically, but, but in your own soul. How many of you can feel that pressure, feel that stress, and just feel like you're short of breath? Well, that's happening physically, but that's also happening in our soul. And so I think here, what he's offering to us is peace be with the brethren is is Paul's offering to us as healing. Healing from the rejections, from the abuse, the betrayals, the shame that we've all encountered in this world. It's a kind of peace that removes the deep angst that we're all feeling in our souls. And so when, when two Jewish people, when they see each other They often say shalom, both as a greeting and also as a goodbye. And so what they're doing here in saying shalom, it's a a blessing, really. May you be well. May you be prosperous. May you be whole. May you have peace and be at rest. And so Paul's sort of closing this letter with this blessing to the church in Ephesus, but also to all the churches that read this letter, that may we all experience his rest and his peace. May we all experience his healing and his wholeness. And when I think about that, when I think about experiencing that kind of a peace, I think how hard is it to rattle someone like that? How hard is it for for them to have their confidence or their their courage shaken? Despite living in a world filled with tribulation and stress and struggles, despite living in a a world that's gone mad, this peace is not shooken. It is not not, uh, destroyed or undermined in any way. It serves us as a firm foundation. And so we all need to experience that. Well, let's look at the next phase phrase before we understand even where that piece is coming from. But the next phrase goes on and it says, and love with faith. Now we're gonna look at these two words together, love and faith, because Paul actually links them. Now, love with faith almost sounds like they're, they're two separate but parallel things. Sort of like steak and, and potatoes, right? Or, or ketchup and mustard. Or Coke and chips. Or Coke and a burger. Or coking, quite frankly, anything in my mind. But but, um, anyways, we see them as two things that kind of go together in that way. But they're separate. And that's not what Paul was getting at here. Actually, Paul was linking them in the grammar. And really, he was trying to say that love is from faith or of faith. Uh, Maybe I think the best literal translation would be with faith's love. Meaning that love belongs to faith. Well, some people might ask at this point, well, doesn't God love us regardless of our faith? And the answer is yes, right? John three sixteen: for God so loved the world, right? It, didn't, it doesn't say for God so loved those who believe, God so loves the world. Or Romans 5 8, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. Right? So even when Dave was being really, really bad, God still loved him. And that's good news for all of us. Or Ephesians 2.5, that he was motivated to rescue and to redeem us by his love, by his kindness. So he, he loves everyone. He loves the world, regardless of whether they have faith in him or not. He's not withholding his love. But here's the thing. Will they experience that love? No, they, you and I, we didn't experience that love until we came to him in faith. Let me, let me illustrate to you this way. S- suppose one of, my, one of my kids are struggling with something. Maybe something didn't go well at school Maybe they, they got uh, picked on, and bullied. Maybe, maybe they answered a question in class and it was the completely wrong answer and they felt embarrassed by it. Uh, maybe something else happened and, and, and it just caused opportunity for the enemy, the flesh, to begin to undermine the sense of who they are. And that sense of shame and failure or whatever it is just begins to, to creep up in their heart that causes them to want to withdraw. That causes them to want to pull away. Well, they come home now and and they're feeling down. They're feeling miserable. And so they go and retreat up in the room. And in that moment, what's the flesh doing? Just hammering away. You're no good. You're unloved. Nobody wants you over and over and over again. And yet, what do mom and dad want to do? We want to protect them. We want to love them. But if it's not until they come to us, it's not until they reveal to us or share with us their hurt and their struggle that we're actually able to minister to them, that they're actually able to receive that kind of love. And, and so what we see here is faith's love is the love that you and I experience in that moment of faith. So in the same way, when we're struggling, when we're hurting, when we're feeling, feeling down or feeling attacked by shame, what do we need to do? We lean into Jesus, we turn to him. We, we look to his love and we look to his might in order to experience that love. That's faith love, the love that comes from faith. And to be honest, I don't know of anything more valuable than the love of God. And yet I don't know anything less valued. Think about it. How many times have you said, I know God loves me? Or it's great. It's all but the tone, right? I know God loves me. And what are we saying in that tone? And what are we saying in that statement? It's not enough. I know God loves me, but I wish I had this. I wish I had someone else's love. And that can make me feel better about myself. But what if, what if it was, but I know God loves me? Meaning, because God loves me, it doesn't matter if Catherine rejects me or not. It's likely she will, but it doesn't matter whether she does or not, because I know God loves me. And I can go to him. And, and, and whether it doesn't mean that her rejection doesn't hurt. It just means as I turned to Jesus and I leaned into him, I could experience that healing and that hope and that peace. I could experience my father's love. And that leads us to the the third part of this verse 23. So peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that both peace and And this love that comes from faith, both of it comes from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that phrase, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, it's a common phrase used by Paul. It's used in virtually every one of his letters as a greeting to the churches. Here it's used actually at the beginning of Ephesians at the end of Ephesians. So it's sort of a common phrase he uses here. But I want you to notice, essentially he's using two different titles. What are the two titles? Number one is? Father, and what's the second one? Lord. And I thought about that and and the significance of those two titles. In in Lord, we have authority, we have dominion, we have we have power, we have glory. But sometimes you can have a Lord that's just too distant, too separated from you. I think about the, the Queen of England, right? I mean, we don't, you don't run up to the Queen. And if you do come up to the queen, there's all kinds of protocol and, and rules and what you say and don't say and don't look her in the eye and that sort of thing. And so there's a, there's a distance there despite having all this power and authority. But God's not just our Lord. He's not just our King here. He's also our Father. And so I see here in Father this, this intimacy, this, this loving, this caring, this providing, this protection And he's the source of all of it. God the Father and God the Son are offering to you and I this peace and this love that comes in this faith as we trust in him. And so it's not your bank account. It's not this world. It's not your friends. It's not your family. It's not even your hard work and determination that's gonna provide to you what you're looking for. Only God can provide that peace and love. And it's not something you earn. It's not because you've done well, then God rewards you of that love. He's willing and he's desiring to offer that love unconditionally as this free gift because Jesus has already done the work. Well, that's gonna bring us to our final verse and the final word we're gonna look at this morning and that's the word grace. Grace is a word I think that is easy to define and yet not understand what it means. We we come up with all kinds of of common phrases to try to understand grace. right? It's unconditional love, the unmerited favor of God, the total forgiveness, or God's riches at Christ's expense. We have all kinds of, of definitions for it, but what does that mean to me? You see, it's one thing to understand the theology of it, to understand the concept of it, but if it doesn't actually impact me as an individual, I don't know if it has any value and significance, And so to understand grace, I think maybe we have to understand that grace is bigger than you and I could ever fathom and understand, because ultimately, grace is a person. And what I mean by that is, is, is in Titus chapter 2, Paul writes this, he says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Who brought salvation to all men? There's only, like, you just take a stab. Just <laughs> nine times out of ten, it's the right answer, right? It was Jesus, right? But it doesn't say Jesus came bringing salvation on men. It says the grace of God came, the grace of God appeared. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the personification of grace. And, and now we're starting to see that. You know what, grace can't be simply defined any more than Jesus can be simply defined. But in Jesus, we see an unconditional love. Think about that. A love with no strings attached. A a love with, with no conditions attached to it. It's a love that says, I love Ian, regardless of what's happening in Ian's life regardless of how successful or how much of a failure or when he blew it, when he was you know, doing well, irrelevant. I love Ian, full stop, on his worst day. That's grace. That there's, there's forgiveness. It doesn't matter how many times you sin and who you sin with and, and the fact that you will do it again and, and again and again, you are forgiven. You are approved. You are are embraced, and you are always welcome with Jesus. That's grace. And so in grace, we see his loving, we see his compassionate, we see him being patient and long-suffering. We see this unconditional acceptance, and we see it as something that is unlimited. There's no cap to its power, because there's no cap to Jesus' power but it's his his power that we often misunderstand when it comes to grace. So we often think grace is something that is applied after you screw up. After you make a mistake, then that's where grace is for. But wouldn't it be better not to screw up in the first place? Right, Mike? I mean, really now, wouldn't it be better to not screw up? Absolutely. But look what grace also does. Back to Titus 2, now verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. See, one of the things that I don't think is well understood about grace is that grace actually empowers us to live now. Grace actually supplies the strength and the power to say no to sin, to say no to temptation. to to roll out of your bed tomorrow morning and go into work, to to endure trials, to to love others, even those who seem unlovable, even those who disagree with us, to face an uncertain future. It even provides the grace to drive behind someone going 15 kilometers under the speed limit. (laughs) I know. I've been there. I've tried it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, that alone is a testimony and evidence of God but it's his strength, his power, and that's part of grace. And I say that because too often what we want to do is we want to limit grace. We say it's grace and something else. We have to balance grace. We got to make sure we don't have too much grace. And I think, why would we limit Jesus? Why would we turn to something other than Jesus? because not only does God's grace there for when we need love and acceptance, but it's there to empower us to live this Christian life. Because it's the grace of God, it's the power of God, it's Jesus himself living in inside you and me now. And that's that's Paul's prayer for us. That's his closing, that you would experience this peace, this shalom, this wholeness, this prosperity. That that you would know this love that comes from trusting Jesus. That you would see your Father, you would see God as the all sufficient source for everything you need in life. And that you would know His grace, you would know His power in an incorruptible love, in a love that never fades away. And experience Christianity, experience life as God intended for all of us. That's His. That's his prayer. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to, we're going to celebrate communion now. And I think it's a great way to kind of close the, uh, the book here. And so what you've got in this, this very ingenious, COVID-friendly, uh, probably made a billion dollars under COVID alone uh, idea of our, our little communion set where the wafer is on top and the the grape juice, which may have turned to wine. You let me know in yours, but it's, uh, it's underneath here. But you think about communion, what is it? Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. And so when we celebrate communion, it's an, it's an act of remembrance. We're reminding ourselves because we need to be reminded. And what we're, what we're being reminded of or what we're celebrating is really the divine conspiracy that Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit did, they came up with. The, the conspiracy, the plan of redemption that they have for you and I. Where they sent Jesus to, be, to, to come to earth. And he, and he lived this perfect life for 33 plus years. I mean, think about that. Think about the the stress it would have been to live in this world and yet never give in to sin's temptation. And he did that. And he suffered through all that because he had a goal, he had a mission, and that mission was to go to the cross. That was everywhere he was going to was going to end at Calvary because at Calvary, everything was going to be accomplished. Sin was gonna be defeated. Death was gonna be defeated. Life was gonna pour out. Righteousness, redemption, forgiveness. But maybe even greater, you and I could be crucified on that cross with Jesus so the old you would be taken away. So a brand new you would show up. Think about that brand new Adam. A brand new Adam who is so holy and righteous, he is now qualified to house the Holy Spirit. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit right there. And that's what we're celebrating. is this new covenant that is not one of performance. It's not one of striving. It's something that has been given to us and is available to us just in a moment of faith. And if you don't know Jesus yet, if you're on sort of been checking him out and wondering, then maybe this can be the moment where you actually Surrender that your heart to Him and allow Him to be both Lord and Father to you. But to those of us who've already accepted Jesus, we live by faith, moment by moment. And He's always any any moment, any situation you find yourself in, He is that instant moment of faith away, where we turn to Him and we trust Him for all that we need. And so let's celebrate communion together, where we have the the body of Jesus broken for us on that cross all that he suffered to make life possible for us and then we have the, the blood of Jesus which was poured out on that cross for forgiveness as the, as the blood of the perfect lamb but also the blood of the new covenant a new covenant, a new arrangement between God and man that is so valuable, it's measured in the blood of Jesus. That's what he's given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, What a journey it's been as we've gone through this book of Ephesians, but it doesn't stop here. The, the truth is that you have given to us life. You've given to us your own life, your very self and the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and the reality is we don't live in Eden. We don't live in this perfect world. We live in a, a world that is filled with temptation, that's filled with strife, what's filled with disappointment and frustration. We live in a world with enemies that are pulling us away, trying to pull us under. And what we need, Jesus, is we need you to remind us of, of who you are to us, that you are Lord. You know what's best. You're in charge, but you're also Father, and you care for us. And you want to hold us tight, and you want to embrace us in your arms, and you want to protect us from those lies. You want to remind us what's true. And so I pray, Father, a blessing over all of us that we would we would hear from you in those moments of our struggles. We would we would remember who you are and who we are in you. That as children now we have not just the permission. just the invitation but the freedom to run to you and we we know that no matter where we're running from you're right there to welcome us and it's not even a long run because you're with us the whole time face to face with you we just have our eyes closed in that moment and so I pray that you would open our eyes to the blessings that you've given to us and that we would be a a group of people now, knowing that love you have for us and we would offer that love to those around us, to the other people here at New Life, to to the people in our homes, to the people in our neighborhoods, the people in in, in our workplaces, in our schools, and even the people on the roads. But we'd offer life to them as you've given it to us. In your name we pray,